How should we live and function as Christians within our wider society? What should be our posture toward government? What should characterize our interactions with those all around us in the world? Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And Jonathan, you just dropped some pretty big questions on us right there, but I'm going to guess that the answer to all three of those questions are either the same answer or at least very closely related. Well, the Bible teaches us things which we might not find altogether surprising as we read them, but which often challenge us in our instincts and indeed in our behavior. And when it comes to government and society, the Word of God calls us to be submissive to those over us and courteous to those around us. And, and it makes sense. That's not surprising teaching, but it is challenging teaching. Yeah, it, it is challenging teaching. And when we come up against uh, something that challenges our comfort, something that pushes back maybe against our ideology, not necessarily our, our theology, but maybe just our ideology, it can be very tempting to kind of put our stake in the ground and say, no, I'm not going to change from this. But, but really, that shouldn't really be the heart attitude of a believer, should it? Well, it shouldn't. But of course, our hearts are fickle and our hearts are uh, in need of constant transformation, aren't they? And that's why it's so good for us to be reminded of what the Word of God says. And I think this call to be submissive to governing authorities and courteous to those around us, it's a call we need to hear today more than ever. Well, let's look at this from the book of Titus. We're in chapter 3 as we dive into the first seven verses and begin this message, Transformed by the Mercy of God. Here is Jonathan. Well, how should we live and function as Christians within our wider society? What should be our posture toward government? What should characterize our interactions with those all around us in the world? Now, that's the question at stake in our passage this morning, and there could hardly be a more pressing or a more timely issue for us to address. We certainly live in tumultuous days. Society is, in many respects, a messy battleground, a dangerous conflict zone. There is political tension, as we know, at every turn, a sort of bristling at government authority on many fronts, and often enough calls for outright rebellion. There is plenty of disdain for figures of authority, really wherever you look within society, and there is what we might describe as a generalized crisis of trusts, whether it be directed toward the police or health authorities or local government officials. And then on the horizontal level, relationships within our society between peers, business associates, friends, neighbors, those relationships are often fraught, aren't they? They're often complicated. Differences turn into disputes, turn into long-term conflicts, turn into simmering grievances, much of it played out nowadays on social media for all the world to see. And so, in such a messy social context, how should we live, how should you and I live as followers of Jesus Christ? What should be our posture? What should be our approach? What should characterize our engagement with the world all around us? 
Back in chapter 2 of Titus, Paul focused on how Christians should be relating to one another within the home, the Christian home, and within the church fellowship. He gave some instructions, you may remember, and then he followed those very specific instructions, quite a list of instructions. He followed them by setting out their gospel foundation. Behave in a certain way within the Christian community. Verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation. Now, in a sense, that same pattern is repeated here in chapter 3, but the focus now is on how we relate to others within the wider society, to government authorities, and to everyone else. Paul sets out a pattern and a standard for us to follow as believers, and then he gives us the reason why the gospel foundation. First, then, he tackles the question, how should we live in society as Christian believers? That's the first question. For a long time, at least in the West, Christians have enjoyed a pretty privileged situation, haven't we? A situation where the laws and the structures of society have tended to resonate pretty well with our faith because of the historical influence of Christian thought in the framing of our law and the framing of our culture. But we all know that those foundations are being dismantled at the present time with remarkable speed, actually, and our context is changing very, very quickly. It's hard to keep up. Over recent decades, we have been moving very steadily from a position nearer the center of the culture to a position at the margins. And you and I, we need to learn how to occupy this unfamiliar and sometimes very uncomfortable space at the margins, in a godly way. Now, happily, the Scriptures have quite a lot to say to us about this, and in a sense, the teaching of the New Testament has a renewed freshness and a new directness of application for us because our situation, well, it's starting to look a little bit more like the situation of the early church, a little bit more like the situation of Christians in the first century in the Roman Empire where the church was marginal and Christians knew what it was to be social outsiders. Well, as we go back to the future, as it were, and perhaps walk into a social and a cultural context that's more like the New Testament world, more like the society that the early Christians knew, how are we to live? Well, within this, first Paul tells us we are to be submissive to authorities. Verse 1, notice it with me again. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Rarely in modern history have governments placed as many restrictions on the lives of ordinary citizens as they have during the COVID pandemic. This, perhaps unsurprisingly, has led to widespread and vocal criticism and calls for civil disobedience, too. And, well, it's been a remarkable time for us, hasn't it? It's been a very unusual case study. And for us as believers, it has raised the question of our relationship to government with a fresh urgency. How do we behave toward those in authority over us, especially in times of pressure and in times of difficulty? Now, our instinct within all this might be to say something a little bit nuanced. You know, we're very glad to work with the government when we feel they are doing a good job, <laughs> when we like the office holder, 
when we respect the particular leader on a personal level. But, you know, obviously, if we dislike their approach or their policies, we, we tend to feel a little bit differently about it. That would probably be something like our instinct most of the time, the way we would naturally respond. But we have to reckon with the fact that Paul here in Titus 3 isn't terribly nuanced in his admonition. In fact, what he says here is pretty unequivocal. Remind them, that this is Titus, remind the believers at Crete to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Now, we might read that and we might think, well, that was, that was fine then. That was fine, Paul. But, you know, Paul, Paul didn't really know what we would have to deal with in our day now. It's more complicated in our day. He, he couldn't foresee covid he couldn't anticipate the sweeping social changes of the 21st century. But, you know, it's important for us to remember that Christians hardly had a smooth experience with the authorities within the Roman Empire in the first century, in the days of the early church. We need to remember that the Lord Jesus Christ was himself crucified by order of Roman authorities. Paul himself was arrested more than once, unjustly treated under the power of Rome. The early church was persecuted during the New Testament era, most famously and most brutally under the Emperor Nero. The context of the early church was complicated, and their relationship with the authorities was far from smooth. So this call to submit to rulers and authorities within the New Testament, within Titus, it, it's got teeth to it. It's challenging, and to some, it might be very surprising. Submit to them, be obedient to them, this is challenging teaching. It was then, make no mistake, and it is now. Of course, the Christian's obedience and submission to the state is not slavish, and it's not unconditional. We'll come to that in a moment. But we do need to take on board this very significant principle. It is a matter of Christian obedience that we submit to the authorities whom God has put over us. Our first instinct, our default position, our deep commitment must be one of submission for the Lord's sake to rulers and authorities. So much of the time, our leaders do face angry criticism and scornful abuse in the public square. It's, it's not easy to lead in any context, but government leadership at any level, political leadership, it is incredibly challenging. And as Christians, we are to be utterly distinctive in our readiness, our willingness, our eagerness to honor the leadership of those whom God has placed over us in His sovereignty. And we remember He is sovereign. We may disagree strongly with positions they may take. We may be really deeply unhappy with the approach or the policy of a given leader, but our disposition as believers is a respectful submission. Not because we think the leader is right or even good, but because we want to honor our Lord who calls us to live in a distinctive way. Now, there are limits to this. Of course there are. And it's important for us to know those. In Acts chapter 5, the apostles were arrested, and they were charged not to teach in Jesus' name. It was a specific charge from the authorities to disobey the calling that Jesus had placed on the apostles. Do not proclaim Christ was essentially the order. And the apostles replied to that with the well-known statement of Acts chapter 5 and verse 29.
But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Jesus is the higher authority. He's leader and savior, the apostles say. And we are set apart, commissioned to be his witnesses. We cannot fall silent. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called Transformed by the Mercy of God. Continuing our study of the book of Titus today, chapter 3, and looking at verses 1 through 7. We're going to get back to this message in just a moment. But if you ever miss a program or you just want to go back and listen to it again, you can always do that by coming to our website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. You can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. You can also listen for free on the go if you have the Encounter the Truth app. It's free, and that's a great way to listen to Jonathan's teaching, whatever it fits your schedule. Just look for Encounter the Truth when you're at your favorite app store. All right, let's get back to the message. Once again, here is Jonathan. Now, that passage and that incident, it establishes for us an important principle. When the state calls upon us to disobey Jesus, our higher loyalty is to Jesus. And so there is a place in Scripture for what we might call civil disobedience. It is there. But we need to be very, very careful in running to Acts chapter 5 too quickly when we bump up against government laws and against policies that disquiet us. You'll notice that here in Titus 3, Paul doesn't take time to qualify his instruction. He just doesn't. The same is true in Romans chapter 13 in Paul's larger discussion on the same issue. He calls us to be subject to the governing authorities, and he doesn't suggest a a long list of exceptions and get-out clauses to that. So that, that tells us, it tells us that our default position, our deep commitment, it is to submit whether or not we agree or think the government is right. Now, happily, in our particular context, part of an obedient and a submissive engagement with government, it actually means participating in the democratic process. We we vote. We write to our MP, our senator, our representative. That's our privilege. Indeed, that is our responsibility. There is a, a real sense in which rulers and authorities are accountable to us within a democratic system. And so we take our participation in that process seriously and prayerfully. Now, navigating this whole issue in a pandemic with various restrictions has been especially hard. I think it has been right for us to recognize that authorities at various levels have been struggling to navigate an unprecedented crisis. They've been rightly concerned for the health of the population. And whether or not we have personally agreed with approaches and decisions, we've wanted to say this to them as believers. We've wanted to say, we are praying for you. We are wanting to be a help. We are here to be a cooperative part of the community and to make your job as easy as possible in a hard time and not more difficult. That's been very, very important for our witness, even as we've struggled with the personal and corporate implications of it all, and we have. The pandemic season has been challenging to navigate on this front, 
but we sense that we will have some very difficult, frankly, I would say some rather more difficult discernments to make over the coming years. As governments throughout the world seem to be moving in the direction of legislating speech and matters of conscience, as they seem more ready to legislate on matters of ethics and worldview, particularly when it comes to the theme of human sexuality, we know we may have to grapple more with this question of obedience in the coming years. If we ever face the question, as the apostles did in Acts 5, over whether to speak plainly about Jesus and His Word in our churches and our homes, or submit to an edict to fall silent, well, that would become a pretty unambiguous situation for us. We would have to choose, wouldn't we? submission to Jesus Christ. I think we will find that to be very, very clear. But we don't rush there. We prayerfully work through the democratic process. We engage with the issues. We write, we speak, and we pray that the Lord might intervene. And through it all, we are to be distinctive in our eagerness and willingness to respond graciously to the leadership of those in authority. Rather than being constantly poised for a fight, for a protest, we are to be ready. Here's what we're to be ready for, end of verse 1, for every good work. Looking for the opportunities to serve our communities and to contribute to the good of our society. How are Christians to live in society? We're to be submissive to rulers and authorities, and next we are to be courteous to everyone. Remind them, verse 2, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Just let those words sink in. Those are immensely challenging words. Just think through that instruction. Speak evil of no one. <laughs> avoid quarreling. Be gentle. Show perfect courtesy to all people. <laughs> As I've reflected on verse 2, I've been thinking about our social media age and the way of things on Twitter and Facebook and all the rest. I don't know what you think, but it strikes me that those platforms are mostly about the polar opposite of verse 2. Aren't they often a showcase for our natural and fallen way of interacting? Aren't they so often about speaking evil of others, getting into quarrels and setting aside all courtesy? And actually, for believers, those places are places of particular challenge for our godliness. I have to say I'm deeply saddened to see so much unworthy behavior from believers on social media. Debates become fistfights. Discussion becomes, frankly, rude and unkind, aggressive and disrespectful. Professing Christians tear other Christians apart in public for all to see. It's just dreadful to behold. The world of social media is a place of particular challenge for us. Somehow we more easily say things online that we might not say face to face, but no mistake, verse 2 is a challenge for us everywhere we go. 
I actually had what I might call a customer service issue this week where something went a little wrong with a local business and I, I needed to follow up on the issue. I, I needed to work it through and I'm, I'm sure I didn't get it perfectly right, but I was thinking all the time as I wrote my email to the manager of this business as we tried to sort things out, I was thinking all the time, would this man read my email and be able to confirm at the end of it that my email showed him perfect courtesy? Now, reflecting all that, on all that, I was able to make a couple of edits to draft one before sending it. And, you know, I got a very gracious reply in the end. And it all ended very, very well. But what a challenge this is for us. There's so much sheer rudeness in our society. Just try cutting someone off on the roads or being too slow to move on a, a green light and just see what happens. You know what happens, don't you? It's extraordinary. But you and I, if we belong to Jesus Christ, we are to be different, distinctive, Paul says, perfectly courteous, and how hard that can be. Paul is quite aware, I think, that this is a hard thing. We mustn't imagine that this was somehow a straightforward thing in Crete, and it's only become more complicated just of late. It's worth remembering the kind of society that the Christians were inhabiting there. It was hardly a sweet and harmonious place. You may recall Paul's rather unflattering summary of, of the culture, chapter 1 and verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, you remember this, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Paul is saying this to them, this admonition, because they need to hear it, because it was hard for them. It was hard for them then, even as it is hard for us now. This was countercultural then, even as it is countercultural now, and Paul knows it. He knows that this won't come naturally, but he's convinced that it's not only necessary, but actually possible for the believer. And so we move now from the question of how we should live to the question of why. Why should we live distinctively as Christians? Question, it's not an academic one, is it? Sometimes it's a very pressing question. You see, we are often wronged by those around us, aren't we? Paul says, speak evil of no one, but sometimes people speak evil of us. Maybe that's your particular experience today. You are being slandered in the community and your temptation it is to fight fire with fire. Paul says to avoid quarreling, but maybe someone has picked a fight with you and you feel you need to get into the ring just to protect your own interests. Paul says to be gentle, but you're getting pushed around. Paul says show perfect courtesy to all people. But in a particular situation that you're navigating at the present time, you've been shown everything but courtesy by others. Why be distinctive? Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth, a message called Transformed by the Mercy of God. And he left us hanging with a pretty big question there. When we've been pushed around, when we've not been shown respect or courtesy, why should we be distinctive? And we're going to take a look at that question next time. We're going to see a couple different answers, so I hope you'll make it a point to tune in. By the way, if you ever miss a program, maybe you can't be listening to the radio and hear Jonathan's program live, you can always listen online. Come to our website. You can listen there. The website address, EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, at Encounter the Truth, we're completely listener-supported, and that's what it sounds like. We depend on your generosity to keep Jonathan's teaching on this station, but as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book called How Church Can Change Your Life. And 
Jonathan, one of the things that I think is interesting about this book is that uh, the author, Josh Moody, he actually is tackling questions in this book, questions that, uh, you know, we may have asked or we may have uh, friends or family members who may have asked these questions. Well, I think there will be many who ask, really, why church is important? Do I need to go there at all? There are There are plenty of folk who you know, at least for a season, attempt to live the Christian life apart from the local church, apart from attending church, apart from being part of a local church. And really, Josh is is tackling the question, why does church matter? And what does it do? And, and, and what's important about the local church? And I think if you've got someone in your life who maybe is is not involved in church, maybe you yourself are not going to church at the moment, I think this book will be a really stimulating read and an encouragement to see the importance of the local church for anyone who would follow Jesus. Well, we'd love to send you a copy as our way of saying thanks for your financial support this month, a gift of any amount. And we want to send you How Church Can Change Your Life. You can find out more or give online by coming to EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. Again, our website, EncounterTheTruth.org or the phone number is 833-998-7884. Well, thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll join us next time.